passage today comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. How can we cultivate a resilient faith that withstands the pressures of real life? That's what I want to talk about today. Every single human being lives with some measure of pressure upon them. Um, We want to be accepted by the people around us. We want to do well in our work. We want our families to know that we care. We want to retire with enough money to not be a burden on those around us. We want to be great friends and great spouses and have, have good relationships with our parents and be great parents and be great students. And we want to achieve our goals and we want to succeed in our ventures. And we want to book Instagrammable vacations in those little huts that sit on top of the tropical waters. But some of the pressures that we feel are simply the toxic overflow of buying into a consumeristic and materialistic culture. Some of the pressure we feel we don't need to feel. Some of the pressure we feel, though, is just life in Vancouver in 2021, and there's nothing wrong with it. I want to be a great husband, and I want to be a great dad, and I want to be a great son, and I want to be a great brother, and I want to be a great friend, and I want to be a great pastor, and I want to be faithful to God, and I I want all of those things... And at times I feel like I'm failing in them because I feel the pressure of all of them weighing on me at one point or another in any given day. What I need most, though, is the assurance about the things that truly matter. How am I handling those pressures? I need the assurance that the Father loves me, that Jesus calls me his friend. I need the assurance of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Christ said, you've got pressures from outside of you that say the way of Jesus is too narrow and restrictive and you need to loosen up and realize it's the 21st century. And you've got pressures from within you that say, I have to achieve and I have to live a flawless life so that I can prove myself and that others will love me. Pressures from without and pressures from within. And sometimes we struggle to feel that deep assurance that 
the way we're living in the midst of all of these crossed up pressures that come from different directions, we need to feel that assurance that the way we're living is right. And today I want to talk about cultivating resilient faith that can withstand all of the pressures of real life. And I want to do it like this. I'm going to look at two contrasting examples. I want to look at two crushing pressures. And then I want to look at cultivating resilient faith. Two contrasting examples, two crushing pressures, and cultivating resilient faith. Contrasting examples. Look at verse 11 with me for a moment here. Verse 11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Hey, this is the controlling thought of the whole passage. This is the good news that John is reminding his church or his churches of. This is the good news that they've heard from the beginning since they first heard about this man, Jesus. And what have they heard from the beginning? Well, they've heard that Jesus loves them, and because of that, they should love one another. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, right? It's like somebody's in the congregation and and someone from the congregation sitting beside John while he's writing the letter and he's writing this letter and he's probably speaking it out and somebody's writing it down as he's talking and he's saying, I'll tell him about this and let's tell him about this. And you got somebody sitting there from the congregation who goes, man, a little louder for those in the back. Love one another. Say it again, John. See, John's repeating something here because he's trying to form the way they hear the message of Jesus and the way that they live the message of Jesus and they they love with the message of Jesus. Christ City, there is no formation without repetition. And John knows that. And so once again, we hear, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. See, cultivating resilient faith that can withstand the pressures of real life does not happen overnight comes through repetition. John's like the swordsmith. If you've ever seen people making swords, he's the swordsmith that puts the the steel in the fire and heats it up and pulls it out, puts it on top of the anvil. He smashes it and smashes it until it's flattened out and he sticks it back in the fire and he smashes it and flattens it out and he folds it over and he puts it back in the fire and he pulls it out and he flattens it out and he folds it over and he pounds it and he puts it back in the fire and he pulls it out and he folds it over and he hardens the steel. There's no formation without repetition. Jesus loves you, love one another. Jesus loves you, love one another. Put it back in the fire. Pull it out, pound it down again. Jesus loves you, fold it over, love one another, put it back in the fire. That's what he's doing. We see this all the way through the letter. But then he says, but don't do it like this. Verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was evil, uh, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Okay, now my guess is, whether you've read the Bible or not, you know the story of Cain and Abel. In the first book of the Bible, which is called Genesis, in chapter 4, we see the story of Cain and his brother Abel. Basically, they go together to make an offering to God, to worship God. And God receives Abel's worship, his offering, but he rejects Cain's worship because it was not wholehearted. Cain's worship offering is rejected by God. Here at this point, Cain's got a choice he can make. Repent and follow the example of his brother Abel who made a wholehearted sacrificial offering. He can worship God with his whole heart or he can harden his heart and kill his brother. 
and Cain killed his brother Abel. Because Abel's righteous life and sacrificial offering made Cain feel bad about himself. He was not pleased that God did not accept his offering, but accepted his brother's. So his answer, put his brother to death. Now, culturally, the story of Cain and Abel is understood to be the archetypal story of sibling rivalry. But here in 1 John, it's the archetypal story of lawlessness. I I quoted Karen Jobes last week. She said, lawlessness is the rejection of God's authority and the exaltation of the autonomy of the self. See, Cain is the personification of the lawlessness that John has seen in their community. And that kind of lawlessness you need to see is diametrically opposed to loving your brother or sister in the faith. And if you keep going here in the text, John is going to contrast the way of Cain with the way of Jesus. Look at verse 11 again. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Okay, If Cain is the archetypal story and personification of lawlessness, which is the opposite of loving your brother or sister in the faith, then Jesus is the archetypal story of self-sacrifice and self-sacrificial love. John's contrasting the effects of lawlessness that hates the brother or sister in the faith and the effects of righteousness that lays down his life for his friends. This is love, he says. One commentator said, there is no need to define love. It's enough to point to the supreme example of it. So John is saying, follow Jesus. Emulate Jesus. Love like Jesus. He's saying Jesus is the one to follow here. It's like what Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Philippi. He said, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So on one hand, you have Cain who didn't like the way he felt being rejected by God because his heart was far from God. So he killed his righteous brother. On the other hand, you've got Jesus who was willing to be killed so that we would know how deeply we are loved. John's saying, choose the way of Jesus. Follow the example of Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The way of Cain or the way of Jesus. Now the comparison and contrast here could not be stronger. We have the first murderer in the Bible contrasted with the one who loved us so much that he was murdered in our place. We have the one who chose to take the life of his brother contrasted with the one who laid his life down for us so that we could be called brothers and sisters in the faith. 
Okay? And both of these create unique pressures for us. Those are two contrasting examples. Let's now look at two pressures, two crushing pressures. Let me show you what I mean. Again, verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. John's telling the church, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Now, if they hate you for being a jerk, that's a problem. He's saying, don't be surprised when the world hates you for following Jesus. For the righteous one who you follow. And for your righteousness that emulates the righteous one. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Sometimes we've got friends who don't share our view or convictions on what is true and right about the world, and they seek to make a compelling case that living for ourself is a better way of life than living for the kingdom in the sake of others. That's pressure that comes at us from outside of us, from the broader culture of the city that we live in, maybe even from friends and family who don't share our convictions, and that that pressure then tries to form us into being something other than who who we are in Christ. And don't forget, Jesus told his disciples that they hated me. They're going to hate you too. That is pressure that comes at us from without, from outside of us. It shouldn't surprise us that the canes of this world are uncomfortable with our desires to live righteous before God. See, there's two ways you can live. One's for yourself, with yourself as the authority, and John calls that lawlessness. And he says Cain is the embodiment of it. Last week we talked about the lawlessness. This week we see Cain is the embodiment of that kind of lawlessness. The other way we can live is for God, with him as the authority, and John calls that righteousness, and he says Jesus is the embodiment of that. Righteousness is the way of Jesus. Righteousness is thinking and doing and loving and living what is right. It's a picture of wholeness and whole life submission to the revealed will of God who reveals what is good and right and true. The way of Cain hates the way of Jesus. Don't be surprised when you feel the pressure from outside of you, from those around you, those in your school, those in your university, those in your workplace, from whoever. Don't be surprised when you feel that. That's pressure that crushes from outside of us. But there's another pressure, and this one is going to be counterintuitive to you church folks. When I say what it is, you're going to understand it, but you're going to feel guilty for even feeling it doesn't mean it's not real and it doesn't mean it's not deep inside of us this is a crushing pressure let me show you what I mean start in verse 11 again for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another verse 16 says by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him 
Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. And we say praise God for that. What we believe about Jesus should show itself in the way that we live. There should be a production of goods, uh, of good deeds and things done to love people around us because of what we believe about Jesus. That is true and good and right. Now just put a pin in that for a second and hang on to it because there's a crushing pressure that we can feel if we misunderstand what John is saying. Church people, let me talk to you. We've got a tendency to put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Feel like we need to be doing better than we are. And when we feel like we are failing as Christians, like we're not living up to the standards that we know are good and right and true, or that we're not good enough parents or good enough kids, or that we're not consistent enough in our devotion and our worship, we feel that whole pressure thing right deep within us, and we might even hear that internal voice that begins to accuse, that says, maybe you don't really believe what you say you believe. That pressure to perform in our faith life is real. And it's a lot to take on, and it can make us feel like a total failure at times. At times, that pressure, when it comes from within us, it can crush and suffocate our faith life. Right? Be like Jesus? That's a lot of pressure to take on. Further, it's costly. The call is to lay down our life and open up all of our material resources for anyone in need. That's not easy. It's a call to love, not in word or talk, it says, but in deed. So there you are as a follower of Jesus, living under the pressures of real life. And and John says, don't do it like Cain, do it like Jesus. And we go, amen. Amen. But if we are not careful, these dual pressures, one from outside and one from within, one that is worldly and one that is religious, if we're not careful, these pressures will crush us. Okay, on the one hand, you've got saying, you got people saying to you that that you, you should conform to the way of the world because you're probably, as a Christian, standing on the wrong side of history. You've heard that one lately? Okay, on the other hand, you've got this religious pressure that you put on yourself to be perfect. You hear the accusation of you're not good enough. And what's your answer to that? If you're operating within the constraints of that religious pressure, your response to that is I'm going to do better and try harder. The worldly pressure from outside and the religious pressure to perform from within, those will crush you. So what do we do when we're melting under the weight of those pressures and expectations? What do we do? How can we be assured that we're okay? I've given you two contrasting examples, Cain and Jesus. I've talked about two of the many crushing pressures that we can face as Christians. One from outside to conform to the pattern of this world and one inside that says it's all up to me to be good enough for God to love me. 
What do we do? How do we cultivate resilient faith? It starts by realizing what this text is really saying. This text is not just saying you need to be a better brother, do better and try harder. This text is saying you have a better brother in Jesus. Don't miss this. Verse 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, a lot of you only hear the pressure of the second part of what is required. You don't hear the first part of what has been offered. Like when you read that verse and it sticks in your head that you need to lay your life down for the brothers, that's fine as long as he has laid down his life for us is way louder. How is that balanced in your reading of this text? We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers is a true and I would say secondary truth that is only true and only good news once you realize that he laid down his life for us. Just sit in that for a second. The call to do the Christian life only comes following the reality that what needed to be done has been done and that I get to be in Christ. The doing comes after that. Don't mess up the order. When you feel the crushing weight from outside and the crushing pressure from within, just stop and sit in the truth of the gospel for a second that pushes back both of those pressures. Okay, you have done nothing to earn the love of God in your life. So why would you feel the pressure to think it's something you have to keep doing to keep it up? Like if you've done nothing to earn it, why do you think you have to perform to keep it? God loves you. We love because he first loved us. He doesn't love us because we're particularly lovely. We are lovely because we have been loved. If you get that order messed up, it's going to crush you. Right? Jesus merely as an example is not good news to you because guess what? You will never live up to his standard. Jesus as merely an example will crush you. But Jesus as the one who laid down his life for you so that you could be right with God, so that you could know your love, that is the good news of all creation, all the world, the whole cosmos and everything that's ever existed. That is the good and best news and that'll set you free. All the pressure melts away when you sit in that truth. That is how you cultivate resilient faith that can withstand all the pressures of the world. You know who you are in him. In this sense, Jesus experienced the ultimate pressures in our place. You know, the night before he was crucified, he was praying in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And as we read that story, even as we think about approaching Easter, as we read that story in the scriptures, we see that Christ was pressed in that moment, that there were pressures that came at him, the enemy whispering things at him, his own flesh saying, I don't really want to do this, and the pressure of the will of the Father for him to accomplish our salvation on our behalf. Christ felt the pressure of the enemy from outside. He felt the pressure to do something different from within. But he 
heard the voice of his loving father. And he submitted to him and he said, not my will be done, but yours. That's what Jesus said to our loving heavenly father. And because Jesus knows and experienced the pressures that you're facing in this ultimate way, it should give you great confidence that he will cultivate in you a resilient faith as long as you depend on him. See, Christ knelt down in the garden of Gethsemane. Do you know what Gethsemane means? It's the place of pressing. He literally knelt down in the garden of pressing to be pressured by Satan, by his own flesh, and by the will of the Father that he would accomplish something on our behalf that we could never do on our own. See, are you called to lay down your life and be generous? Of course. But not so that you can earn God's love. Christ took that pressure upon himself. And he earned it for you. You are called to be generous and loving because you have received God's love. And that's how you can be assured that you can withstand the pressures you feel. Now what happens when you're not feeling it? How do you cultivate resilient faith that can withstand the pressures of the day? How do you cultivate assurance that you're walking with Jesus? I want to give you three really practical points, practical things that come out of the rest of the text from verses 19 to 24. Believe the truth, live the truth, and experience the truth. Believe the truth, live the truth, and experience the truth. This is how you can cultivate resilient faith today. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So what do you do when you feel that internal condemnation? That voice that says you're not good enough, you better do better and try harder. No, no, you believe the truth. You reassure your heart before him. How? God is greater than your heart. His truth overcomes your inner lie. Jesus laid down his life for you. You are his. He saved you. God's truth of assurance in your life is greater than your inner lie of condemnation. God's truth of assurance is greater than your inner feeling of condemnation. So lay it down before the Father and receive the good news. Believe the truth. God knows everything, it says in the text. And you know what? He still loves you. He knows. And there's no reason for you to feel condemned. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What do you do when you don't feel, or when you don't feel that, that internal condemnation? When you actually are feeling fantastic? Man, live the truth. The first point is believe the truth. The second is live the truth. Live the truth. Practice the truth. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. See, what we believe about God needs to be lived and obeyed. And as it is lived and obeyed, what you find is that your confidence grows and grows and grows believe the truth and then live the truth but how do you know for sure that you've not been condemned maybe your heart condemns yourself maybe you're really confident you don't feel any condemnation at all 
Well, you can still experience the truth. Look at verse 24. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. See, Christ City, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have received the Holy Spirit. Ask him right now to give you the sense of his presence and the assurance of his love. The love of the Father and the love of the Son is felt in the love of the Spirit. Just think about that. What what does the Holy Spirit produce in us? He, He produces love. The essence of the gospel, it says in Galatians chapter 5, is faith working through love. Later on in Galatians chapter 5, this is the fruit of the Spirit is this, love. Joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. All the fruit of the Spirit, but love. 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is patient and kind and love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It says the love is the greatest. That's all the outworking of the Holy Spirit in your life. See, we've been given two contrasting examples, the way of Cain and the way of Jesus. We see the crushing pressures of the worldly view of of things that come at us and press us to be formed into the pattern of the world. And we also see the internal struggles and pressures we feel from the religious world as we have them inside of us that say, if I want to be accepted by God, I need to do better and try harder. But the fact of the matter is that you can cultivate a resilient faith that can withstand all the pressures of the day, including those two, when you recognize that Christ has already accomplished everything you would ever need. That you can believe the truth and live the truth and that by the Spirit you can experience the truth and you can feel God's love for you even right now in this moment. If you're gathered with your house church, we're going to take communion. You've got a liturgy that we produced online and I want you to pray through that. It's going to lead you and guide you into our time of celebrating the finished work of Christ on our behalf. See, he died upon the cross in our place, as I said, for our sin. And so all we must do is repent of our sin, place and anchor our hope in him. Trust that he'll save us. And fill us with the Holy Spirit. And we get to celebrate and feel and experience the truth of his love for us. Let me pray. Father, I ask you that you would strengthen us all now as a church. We live in strange days. There's pressures from outside. There's pressures from within. Pressures to perform. Pressures to be a certain kind of person. Pressures to do certain things and say certain things and be accepted in certain places. And I just want to know, I just want to know for sure and for certain, God, that, that, that I am someone who is accepted and therefore I can rest. I have resilient faith because my faith's in you. Help me to live out of that truth this week. In Jesus' name.